Welcome back to Practically Pastoring. This is the first episode of 2024. It's going to be a good one. Uh, we asked you all, a bunch uh, of, uh, of, of our listeners, people in our Facebook group, to enter into a contest to win our favorite books of last year. And with that, many of you also gave us questions for the podcast. And so today we're going to answer a couple of those, one being what we're doing to reach our community in 2024. And since 2024 is an election year, we're going to talk about what we're going to do to disciple our people in what might be a very tumultuous election year. Plus, we're going to pick a winner for our favorite books at the end of this podcast. But hey, I am here with my friends from across the country, mostly the eastern seaboard. Uh, I'm Frank. I'm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Up in Baltimore, Maryland, we got Jeffrey Simpson. Hey, everybody. Down in Sumter, South Carolina, we got Delmar Pete. Happy New Year. And in Florida in the morning after Ministry Studios slash Rat Sanctuary, we got Andrew Larson. <laughs> Listen, with Delmar here, we call it Master Splinter's Lair. It's just cooler <laughs> that you. way. I like that spin. And Tim and Timothy Miller. Great to be here. Missed you guys. Hey. Um, it's been a long time since we've talked. It's probably been what, like maybe three or four weeks. Uh, it's good to see you all. Um, the good news is that our internet isn't any better from last year, so it's still just as laggy and 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 goes off and unstable. But we are here in the new year. We're not dropping any more guitars. It's going to be great. It's a good place Why? to be. Uh, My heart what, what, sank what? so hard, man. <laughs> For those of you, you don't, that don't know, know Je- yeah, explain, Jeff. I was, well, we've all seen the video, hopefully, if you're not a relatively new person listening to this, I posted a video in our Facebook group, which you should join, by the way, Practically Pastoring, uh, from the church's security cameras a number of weeks back where I was walking across our stage before the church service started with a music stand, and it fell and perfectly um, hit me where the sun don't shine, uh, and then Yesterday, I was walking across the stage with my guitar because I also lead worship because small church pastor and the strap kind of just came loose and I did not have either hand on my guitar and my guitar landed in the worst possible case scenario for a guitar to drop, which is straight onto the headstock of the guitar onto the concrete floor of our stage. It is carpeted, but it's concrete. And it did the like bounce off the headstock, bounce off the body, bounce off the headstock, land flat on the floor. I don't know how, but it was perfectly fine. It was still pretty much in tune. Um, Divine favor. There was no brother. damage. I was, ex- I was, ex- I mean, I'm blessed <laughs> and highly favored. I was expecting to pick it up in two pieces, and I would have been pretty heartbroken because that is the most sentimental piece of guitar stuff that I have. I've had that guitar since I was like 16, um, so I've had it for a long time. It's the first one I ever bought where I was like, "That's the real one I really want." <laughs> Wasn't like a gift it- from somebody while I was learning. Isn't so, it signed by David Crowder? It, it's signed by Chet Atkins, but I just pretend that it says David Crowder because he played that <laughs> guitar, but the Gibson version. And since I was poor and in college, I couldn't afford the Gibson version. I got the Epiphone version, but it's been with me for a long, long, long time. So I'm happy it's okay. Um, hey, let's dive into our first question. Um, and because many of you guys wrote these questions, uh, we have uh, your name. And so hopefully... Um, 
uh, unless you said don't share your name, I'm going to share your name. Um, we have uh, CJ uh, Zettel Moyer, Meyer, Moyer, and, and Brock Caldwell asking kind of two similar questions. So we're going to kind of put them together. CJ says or asks, what are you doing in 2024 to impact your community? And Brock Caldwell asks, how do you and your churches approach benevolence ministry? How, we have a food pantry and weekly community meal, but also have homeless in cars and some attempting to park campers in our large parking lot near downtown. There, that, that That's cause for serious issues, serious security issues. How do you balance serving your community while also trying to maintain control of your facility and resources? Okay, what do you guys... Uh, 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 in your context, I mean, I, I'm interested because, like, Tim, you're kind of like off the beaten path a little bit, so I don't know if you have like homeless people trying to sleep in your parking lot. In where we are, there's a uh, uh, literally like homeless camps in our alley right behind our larger campus, and uh, I can go on for a while talking about kind of situations like that, but. I also have a food pantry I can talk about, but I want to hear from you guys how you guys are reaching your community and how you're balancing that like benevolence and also kind of like caring for your facility. Should we assume that he said balancing reaching the community and security? We all missed what you just said because internet. That's what I said. Okay. Okay. (laughs) That was a good assumption by me. Um, I guess I'll go first since I'm already talking. Uh, what we are doing in 2024 to uh, impact our community is um, the new thing we're doing is probably some classes, uh, either Bible classes, but also I would like to do some classes in the sort of like counseling trauma, um, dysfunctional family help kind of area. Um, I've noticed living in this neighborhood that there is a quite a bit of dysfunction and if i had to narrow it down i don't know if you guys remember the book boundaries um but i see that as a big issue in my neighborhood that there's a lot of like overlapping boundaries and lack of boundaries which is leading people to dysfunction so we're probably going to offer some classes um our building just opened space up because one of our um it's a long story but one of our renters left and then came back and so we took a night back from them so that opens up our building for some of that and then um, the other thing we're doing is I'm also the president of the Improvement Association in my neighborhood, so I'm looking to partner together with them. We have a meeting tonight, and for the first time, I'm going to lead the meeting of the Improvement Association and sort of do a Blackboard session where I ask community members, like, what do you dream about for this community? And then I'd love to see the church kind of partner along with that and make that happen. So one of the big things I want to do this year is a Easter egg hunt, like a big one. Uh, where multiple churches come together and really see it as an outreach opportunity and not uh, a bunch of us do a tiny little one just for our people. So just kind of turning the focus outward towards the community a little bit more. Um, And then we're still doing our um, community celebration rooms, what we call it, and that's going really well. We're booked every weekend almost. And so we're looking for maybe a way to expand that as well. We are trying a few new things this year with both our Benevolence ministry, which we've had and we haven't had. We had a small food pantry, then we partnered with someone local. So we, we've tried a few different things. And like you said, Frank, we're we're not exactly in in the middle of some hopping community. We're kind of off. Of, I mean, we're off a main drag. Forty six thousand cars drive by us every day. Yeah, but you have to be in a car to get to you. Exactly. No one's walking no one, to Lakeview. No one's walking to Lakeview. We we had a small homeless population in our woods for a season, but then a few neighborhoods popped up 
around us. And so we don't have that issue anymore. One thing we want to do. So to they all have the houses community. now? That's cool. <laughs> I think it's those people. crazy. They're multi-million dollar houses. <laughs> they're very expensive houses. They, they, they landed on their feet. They got great jobs. So it's, it's a great story. Or the alligators got them, which is also a possibility. Which we still, at Lakeview. still have in our lake. We, we want our campus to be accessible and to be open, not just to Lakeview members, but to the community. So we've had a lot of requests for fishing and we're always open to just letting people on the campus. So we are attempting to put a few things on the campus that would be welcoming to the community. So we are in the final stages uh, of our disc golf course. So all the holes are about to get put in the ground, which we're really excited about. So we'll have an 18 hole uh, disc golf course at Lakeview church. That's going to be open probably within the next month. And then within the next three months, we'll have a, kind of a cool prayer walk that we're going to be expanding around the lake. So we'll put in a few features that'll just encourage people to, you know, get out, enjoy the walk. Uh, you can throw a disc or not. And then on the benevolent side, we had a couple of deacons reach out and say they'd like to actually help start a benevolence ministry. So we as elders decided we're going to have a set a dollar amount. We're going to give freedom to, uh, these deacons on how that's going to be used. But once that amount is used up, it is used up for the year. So use it wisely kind of thing. Uh, because we do have, we still have a lot of people that will just knock on our door asking for money. So we want to make sure we're being wise and good stewards when it comes to that sort of thing, which is very, very tricky. You guys know this. It's, it's very, very tricky because you have those serial askers that'll bounce from church to church to church, just asking, asking, asking. And then you'll have like a legitimate need from a member in the congregation that you're like, wow, we as a church want to help here. So trying to process that and pray through that. So this will be our first year with some sort of benevolence fund officially. We partner with our city whenever we can. I was cleaning off my desk earlier today and there was an article in one of the city journals about just how our church does the most with the uh, rec and leisure department, which is really cool because that was not something that, that we put together and that pre predates my being here at the church. It's just kind of the, the history that we have as a church of partnering with the city constantly. We are right in the middle of a downtown, very walkable area. And so it, it's funny, but our parking lot is one of our best outreach methods that we have because there are no other places to park. And the number of people that we have they're like, yeah, I started parking there when I was going to dinner downtown, and so uh, now I'm here to check it out on a Sunday morning. It's really kind of funny. And then we have a preschool that is very, very necessary here in downtown because there there are no stay-at-home moms that can afford to live in downtown Safety Harbor. Right now it's kind of a wild place as property values are going, and so the preschool that is not a ministry of the church, but they have – just come in and played a very important role here in our town. And we get to partner with them for all the things that they're doing for the young families. And let me just take a second to say that I think the preschool's renting space from the churches is going to be the wave of the future. I've talked with several other pastors about this because the, the insurance and some of the licensing that you have to do as a church operating a preschool is a little bit different. And man, opening up our space to the preschool has been a game changer for us. Um, it's been great financially, but it's also just been great relationally as well. It gives yeah, us we've actually credibility had a couple, with a lot of young families. We've had a couple that we wouldn't have. Preschools ask us about that, and um, 
we're really looking into it. I I don't know if you ran into this, Andrew, but I, I think this maybe this is a small church thing, but a lot of people, I think a lot of older church folks still have the mindset of like, you should never have any kind of renters. You should be financially. Oh, yeah. And like, I don't think that's, I don't know if that's true anymore. I think having renters I don't think is, is legitimate income stream, especially like where you're located right in the middle of kind of a downtown area. Um, and I don't know of a lot of daycares around here where I live. And there's a lot of like single parent homes that are mm -hmm. probably, you know, either one or both of the parents that are at home are working. And so that could be, you know, a real ministry um, and, and an income stream. And just like you said, a way for the community to like walk in and out of your building every day is like pretty cool. Yeah. That's what we've experienced. It has, I, I could, and there's, there's occasional frustrations, but there's way less frustrations with that than there is with any other type of benevolence ministry I've been a part of. And, you know, like Tim was saying, you know, the people that abuse the systems or they know, Hey, this church will only help someone once a year. So on the 366th day, they show up, ask and ask because they've got the system figured out so much. These the young families that really, as life gets more expensive in our country, it is a necessary thing, and there are a lot of people that would love to provide childcare that they don't have three or four hundred thousand dollars to go out and buy a building to start a daycare that's going to make thirty thousand dollars a year. So by renting out space in the church, we have really ingratiated ourselves to. A different segment of our community. And it's also space that wasn't being yeah. used Monday through Friday. So I think the argument is you're being a really good steward of your space, yeah. right? Like, I think it's great. Yeah. There's a book, uh, I've talked about this before. It's, uh, I think by Tom Rainer, it's like the post quarantine church is what he called it. And in there, he talks about what you guys just talked about. It's like the, what Jeff said, there used to be an old mindset that like, you don't want to rent out your space um and i think the old mindset has more to do with like not damaging your space or the upkeep of having renters but tom is tom rainer talks about how um you know being a place where the community sees you not just as a place of worship on sunday morning but a place to gather in other arenas is is like the future of um uh, i don't know stability of but but, but like it, it's the future of like what's going to make a healthy church sustainable in any community anyways to say uh i'll say this we have a food pantry at our church uh, at our location we inherited it when we bought this property and um when we got the prop when we got the food pantry there was maybe about 25 families every week getting food from this food pantry we're now closer to 180 families getting food from our food pantry so it's increased tremendously as as andrew said you know uh the uh, the price of the cost of living is just so expensive now that like more people are fighting themselves to get food pantry stuff. But there's a, uh, we just did some uh, data of like our people from the past, from the people who come into the food pantry in 2023. And we noticed 51% of them only came one time throughout the entire year. So what that means is, and this is an important thing when it comes to conversations with churches about food pantries and things like that. There's this weird thing about the church where they're like, Hey, we gotta be careful giving out handouts, giving you know, doing food pantries, doing things like that, because people will like 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 Tim said, they'll take advantage of the system and whatever. Um, and and I've had people come to like in our church say to me, you know, we're doing something wrong by having this food pantry because we're enabling people. What the data shows 
is that people genuinely come to food pantries when they genuinely need help. And they're not here to, like, take advantage of a system. And I think this, like, welfare queen, people taking advantage of stuff is a myth that, like, is rooted in, like, politics that it can be really toxic. So don't be afraid. Can the name of this episode be Welfare Queen, though? <laughs> when you are naming the episode, if we could name it Welfare Queen, All right, that would I'll, go I'll really amazing. well. <laughs> but, um, but I think that, like... Uh, What's that? Who's playing a video? <laughs> Anyways, there seems to be like this uh, th- this uh, uh, idea of fear that we like you, you shouldn't do this. However, um, I will say food pantries take a lot of work, and it's like working with local food distributors to get food, getting donations, the amount of donations. Right now, we're constantly trying to get new appliances, like freezers, in our space. And like now we're in a conversation of trying to figure out if our electricity can even handle um, My the gosh, freezers. The irony that... of him saying freezer and freezing. Speaking up. of freezers, <laughs> this show is professional. Freezers... Yeah. Oh, it froze. Okay. Yeah. Um, but all that to say is, uh, food pantries is a is a beast in itself. But it's it, it is single handedly. Frank, how many hours a week way... do you think you? How many hours a week do you put into working on the food pantry? I put very little because there's a whole team here. Um, oh, okay. Uh, but, like, so I I have a, a one-hour meeting every week where I meet with the food pantry people, and I give, like, information from the church perspective and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, we, and we run the food pantry through our church, so there's, like, tax issues and reasons for that. But, like, um, I know for the most part it's the day of distribution – like they go through the food, they sort the food, they put the food. There's probably like eight hours of work on the day we do the distribution. And on Sunday, there's probably about three hours of work where we have a Sunday team in there kind of doing some sorting for that. So maybe a total of like 15 hours, but there could be more work done if you want to do stuff like uh, uh, some sort of like discipleship plan for the people. Like one thing we're talking about in this new year is offering kind of like alpha esque classes for people of like, Hey, if you are interested in knowing what the Bible is all about, we have a class that's happening the same day as the distribution where you can come in and sit down for 45 minutes. We're going to tell you about how to read your Bible or what the Bible is. Right. And so there's now some spiritual components where we're adding to it. Um, but I will say that uh, this conversation about like squatters living in your alley and stuff like that is a big issue at one of our locations. And the, it's this complex situation where you have to deal with where you want to be welcoming to this to the community, but at the same time, it can really be a deterrent, not just for like people who are like, oh, I don't want to be near people who are smelly. Like that's an aspect of that because we do have like people who are homeless attending Sunday morning. Sometimes they're drunk, sometimes they they're high, and we have to navigate those conversations. Um, but it can also be like a legitimate like security risk, like if they have some sort of mental illness, you are responsible to care for these kids in your church. And like, so this is where like having a very well-educated security team on a Sunday morning could be very helpful. Um, And, uh, and the reality is, is like the squatters who like live in tents behind our our alley, it's illegal. And so like we try to give them services to help them find a place that isn't there because 
I mean, not to be like rude or inappropriate, but like they're literally pooping in our alley and it's gross when you're like trying to take garbage out in the alley and you're avoiding human feces, right? So, so these are kind of like the weird inner city drama that we're kind of dealing with. And all I'm saying is, is like there is a balance between being like a, a, a godly place in the community, but there's also the reality where like um, if they're literally pooping in your alley, you got to not have them poop there. And so um, this is a complicated conversation and and it all depends on on where you are as a church. I think it's very funny. Just like what you said, depends on where you are as a church because Tim's talking about disc golf and prayer walks (laughs) around a lake and you're talking about defecation. So I'll let the viewers guess which one is in an inner city and which one is uh, in upper middle class. Context matters. Context matters. Yes. Well, I'm guess Frank. I'm guessing Frank. You are similar to me in that there's, I mean, a lot of crime happening not very far from the church building. Um, One of the big issues. I don't know. I don't know. But one of the big issues we face. One of the big issues we are facing here. That's really a problem um, coming out of 2023 and into 24 is uh, youth crime. So kids that are 14 and 15 years old committing like um, Grand Theft Auto and like they're carjacking people at knife point uh, and doing all kinds of crazy stuff and they're robbing people. And because Maryland's laws have changed uh, so that you can't prosecute a minor. So all they can do is arrest them, hold them, and then they have to release them. And, you know, the police officers that I know will say it's so frustrating because we release them and we know we're going to see them tomorrow. They're going to do it again. And they don't care and they flaunt it. And so that's become a big issue here. Um, it hasn't directly affected us as a church, but it's come pretty close uh, in terms of being right in the neighborhood and stuff. So that's that's another challenge for us. Um, we've, I've we had have members. Anybody, I've yeah, had we don't members. have anybody camping like on the church property, but it's there are tents not ver- like within walking distance uh, in the woods. And part of the cha- part of the interesting thing here is we have we're not in baltimore city but we're also kind of we're in the county but it's like it's not like living in the suburbs we're in like a a a literal old bedroom community for the city this community was built when people would ride the bus into the city and go to the factories and so we're like on the outskirts of the city and so at night people that are from the city come to our walmart to do their shopping and our Walmart gets pretty sketchy at night. Like, and I'm not saying people from the city in general, but certain kinds of people with certain kinds of professions ride the last bus they can out of the city into our Walmart. And Walmart gets real interesting at night, and it's not very far away from our church building. So we're kind of right in the middle of it. I was going to say that um, I don't know if they call, if this is a name synonymous to like all places like this, but like. Uh, there's like if you google kia boys like that's a big thing in milwaukee where people are oh, like it's a stealing huge thing here yeah specifically Kias and Kias. hyundai sonatas yeah, yeah. and um kia was and all, yeah they were and like yeah 12 to 17 18 year old kids are just yep. stealing these cars and it's literally just joy rides they're like they're yep. just like running around like it's just their flaunt of doing that we have a facebook and, group of our of our um zip code and almost at least a couple times a week, somebody will say, hey, did somebody get a car stolen? There's an abandoned Kia or Hyundai over here on this street. And people will be like, yeah, my car was stolen. I'll, oh, I guess that must be mine. I'll file a police report. And it's just like become a normal part of life in my neighborhood now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, one other thing that we're doing for the community in 2024, um, one thing I'm doing is is trying to um, be a place to bring care for foster parents. And, and, and what that will look like, I think, is having these, like, dinners where we feed foster parents and their kids, provide childcare for the foster kids, or and, and like and like biological kids if they have some and, and downstairs watch a movie have fun while the foster parents are just simply have a safe place to vent and like share ideas and stuff and like what's great is we've had a couple of those and they've been very like in our like in house like in our church but I'm opening that up to like foster families that maybe don't even go to our church that maybe are in our community just because one thing I've learned um, caring for foster families in our church is they feel very isolated because even people with other kids don't necessarily understand the complexities and nuances of being a foster parent. And, um, and so bringing just, it's, it's been the most interesting dinners is like having just foster parents together. I don't have to do anything. They just start talking and then they'll just start being like, Oh, when you talk to this lawyer, this is how you should approach the situation or, or, um, Oh yeah. When, when the bio mom is doing this, this is how we, you know, like their conversations have been really it's an eye-opening experience for me without having kids or, or being a foster parent, but it's been um, a like kind of life-giving thing for for those who are who are foster parents in our church. So that's yeah, a really cool fan- thing. That, as a foster parent, that's a really fantastic idea, and I want to talk to you more about that off air. And it's yeah, and it's super simple. Like, I mean, if you, I mean, it could be as simple as like, okay, I'm going to budget some money to make sure I buy everyone dinner. But you can yeah. also easily make this like a potluck, and people and like those foster families. For won't sure, mind it's it. the main thing is just the space. I it's creating the space. Parent, I would be happy with coffee and like peanut butter crackers. <laughs> sure, sure. You know yeah. what I mean? Just just yeah. to have a spot to talk to other yeah. foster parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially because I'm I haven't had a foster child in this county yet. So I don't know the judges and the and the you know the lawyers and which guy is going to be, and that's a whole that's a huge part of of fostering. Yeah, um, and even like because there's like three different counties where people are fostering yeah. from, and like talking about how Milwaukee County is so much difficult than the suburban county, and mm-hmm. and it's just it's interesting conversations. But parents being able to talk to each other and yeah. like then share information about like hey. I'll watch your kids so you can go on a date, yep. and, you know, that kind of – so it's that's been like a cool thing. And I'm trying to open it up to the community because I think that would be a good way to reach the community. And then and then the lowest hanging fruit I think is always just like partnering with schools. One thing we do every year that has been an easy hit is I'll go to Chick-fil-A or Culver's. Uh, at Culver's, I'll ask for these tokens. Do you get a free frozen custard? If I go to Chick-fil-A, I'll get a free entree card. And um, and I'll have maybe like a dozen or so people within our church write letters of encouragement to local teachers. So I'll say we have 300 teachers in this many schools that we're going to write cards to. And then I go to the school and drop off a stack of these cards. They put them in the mail slots for all the teachers. And they just had a, a card encouraging them with a free snack or whatever in the card. And that always is like just a, a sweet encouragement where like now these local schools are like feel supported because we're praying for them and encouraging them. We pull, we plug our food pantry and stuff like that. But you know, could we be doing like uh tutoring and stuff like that? Sure. But this is like a really easy one and done kind of annual uh event that we do that reaches the, the schools. So, Hey, uh, this, this was interesting. We're going to take a quick break. Cause I want you to listen to this ad real quick from a, a new episode, a new show on our podcast network. 
that we created like you know last year with the with the what is a campus pastor um and then we'll be right back with a, another question um about this election year listen to this ad Hey, Practically Pastoring Network, my name is Matt Coyne, and I am the host of Relevant Revitalization, a podcast that equips, encourages, and engages pastors who are looking for God to breathe new life in their church. This podcast will be released every Thursday, and I'll be interviewing authors and experts in the field of revitalization and pastors who have been through the revitalization journey themselves with the goal of equipping and encouraging you in your ministry as you follow God's call and watch him breathe new life into your local church. Lastly, another goal through this podcast is to provide free resources through books, consulting, coaching, and so much more. So be sure to mark your calendars for Thursday, February 15th for the pilot episode of Relevant Revitalization. So this comes from our buddy, Matt Coyne. Uh, he, uh, he says, it's an election year. I'm not looking forward to it in any way. And I would love to hear how you all are navigating it as a church. So um, all of us have been pastors through an election cycle. Jeff, you, you were uh, a pastor in Baltimore four years ago when Biden got elected. Is that correct? I was. Yeah. So, and that's interesting because you're close to DC. So that that I wonder if there's an interesting dynamic there. Um, well, a couple of days ago was an anniversary that was real interesting when it actually happened. Oh, sure. Uh, January sixth. Right. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. yeah. Del, uh, you were at your last church uh, four yep. years ago uh, during the election cycle, and then Tim and Andrew, you both were lead pastors at your churches during the last election cycle. I was at my church for the last two election cycles. So yeah. Uh, like, are, are you approaching this year any different? Are you doing anything? Are you nervous because it feels like it's going to be a, a, a redo of the last election? Maybe, maybe. Well, I don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of months. But how do you feel about this election cycle? And how are you going to be pastoring and discipling your people through it? I think, first of all, like as a pastor, if you have anxieties or fear, like that's that's totally okay. But I think you got to have a place to vent that before you start writing your sermons or it'll accidentally come in there in a way that it probably shouldn't. You know, I know for us, one of the buffers we put in there is uh, we are just preached through the books of the Bible. So it keeps us from preaching the newspaper. So like right now we're going straight up through James. If the issue comes up where we can speak to something, we will. Um, we we don't really get into politics too much. Like and I think one of you guys shared a a video in our private group the other day, but unfortunately politics does try to creep into religion these days. So we, we don't push back on politics, but we will stand for truth. So we, we will speak about abortion. We're going to speak about the issues that politics has picked up and ran with and said they're political, but they're not. Um, but we don't, we're not going to obviously go out there and, and run God and country um, across the finish line. A lot of that is, like I said, we I think it's important for the pastors on staff, especially if you got multiple staff, like be having the conversation amongst each other because it's, it's accountability within the office as well. Hey, that's a little, uh, you're, are you're not getting radicalized, are you? Or you're not pulling that in your sermons. So, um, but you do need to get it out. Cause I think it's true. If we go into the pulpit and act like nothing's wrong, um, then we could come across as insensitive to our culture right now. I mean, in our church, I've had a lot of people express like they don't want 2024 to happen. 
because they're just anxious about what's coming. So I do think you need to address it. But I think we take the the high road and say, hey, listen, Christians, we do what we always have done. We love people in Jesus' name, and uh, we live according to Scripture, right? And and if that's counterculture, then let it let it sit you in tension. But we don't go make it. I think my approach this year, I I kind of gotten to the place over the last couple of months where I'm kind of like I'm tired of being like afraid to talk about it. Um, so I'm just going to talk about it when it, whenever it comes up in the, in the scripture, which is quite a bit actually, um, in, in Jesus was not like partisan, but he was, I mean, we're talking about a kingdom of heaven and a King and a Lord. It's like the whole thing's political in that sense. The whole thing is about, uh, empires and power and authority. So like, I'm not going to not, I'm not going to like, I'm just not going to skirt around it anymore. I tried that. And honestly, I think what, what I did was I discipled people into fear and I taught them that it's taboo to talk about when it's central to like how we love our neighbor. And so I'm just not going to treat it like it's taboo because the reality is I can treat it like it's a little bit taboo on a Sunday morning, but everybody is hearing it all week, all the time. Um, they're hearing about political stuff going on all the time. And so I'm just not, I'm not saying I'm going to go look for trouble, but I'm also not going to like, pull punches like I have been in the past or like I used to. So um, we, you know, as I looked at a calendar for this year, I was talking about our building opening up a little bit more. One of the classes I'm thinking about doing is actually just like a, a class or a discussion group on Christians and politics. Like I kind of want to say like, no, I'm not going to not talk about it. In fact, we are going to talk about it and I want to invite you to talk about it. I I think in my church and in, in my, in the people in my life, I, I think, one of the things I see as a problem is that it's been kind of taboo to talk about for so long. And so I don't think people know how to talk about it, uh, especially Christians, because I think we've conflated partisanship with politics and those are not the same thing. Um, so I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but we are going to talk about what that means and how that works. And, and honestly, I think a lot of my folks uh, and a lot of folks in general and kind of my stream of evangelicalism don't even understand how American government works. And I think that's important for us to be good citizens, like understand why we're having the conversations about elections that we're having, understand why the electoral college is important or not important, but understand what it is. I think people are just tossed, you know, to and fro by everything they see on whatever news um, thing they're watching and they're pushed in one direction. And as Christians, I think that doesn't make you a good citizen and it makes you, it makes it pretty hard to love your neighbor well. So I just kind of want to go into 2024, just like unafraid to talk about it. Like, and maybe that's my church. I don't really have anybody who I think is going to like crucify me for talking about it. So that, that, you know, maybe I'm blessed with that, but that's kind of where I'm at. I'm kind of just like done being tired of it or done, I'm kind of tired of being like nervous about it. I'm just going to talk about it. As an American, I'm afraid to watch, you know, baseball playoffs and, football next year because I hate the commercials so much but as a pastor I don't I don't think there's any real fear or trepidation about it and maybe that's because I was here at the church the last time the two old guys were running against each other saying <laughs> hateful and horrible things about each other so we've we've been there done that uh four four years ago we did a sermon series that was you know kind of old testament political leaders and you know who who God used and how can, what can we glean from that and part of that was if God can use Nebuchadnezzar and God can use Pharaoh he can certainly uh use either of these two and the thing that 
my favorite part of that whole uh, series was we were talking about Nehemiah and the principle was, you know, I'm doing something important and I can't come down from this wall. So the idea was focus, you know, our leader should focus on the most essential tasks, not just whatever's most immediate, which was building a wall, which, but I said, you know, we're going to kick this series off by talking about a guy who wants to make (laughs) his nation great again by building a giant wall. And boy, did I get some good laughs for that. Um, But not from everybody. I also got some emails. So of course, but it was my favorite. It was my favorite joke ever. Okay. But Andrew, let me, let me ask you, this kind of goes to what I was saying. What happened with those emails? Nothing. Right. That's like absolutely not. That's my point. I have for so long been, ooh, I don't know, I'm going to get an email. And it's like, you know what? Send the email. Nothing actually yeah. happens. So what just talk it? about it and like be holy and be walking with Jesus and be wise and all that stuff. But like, it's not, it's not, n- nothing's going to like blow up in your face. It's not going to be was, that big of a deal. What was really neat was there's um, a woman in our church and she's, you know, a few clicks to the left of where a lot of the people in our church are politically. And I ran into her at the Starbucks down the street from our church during that session. I was like, ooh, this is going to be awkward. And she was having a conversation with someone at Starbucks. I was like, Andrew, come over here. And she like quoted verbatim something I had said about, you know, uh, Joseph and Pharaoh to this stranger at Starbucks. Like, you know, at our church, we were just saying, you know, and it was something about, you know, lean times and times of plenty or, or whatever it was. But it was a, okay. There are people. Not everybody has to be on the same page politically to take God's word seriously and put it uh, and to apply it in how they're living. And it was a really neat moment of okay, like we're not ever going to have uniformity when it comes to political convictions as a church, and just where we are geographically. You know, we're we're in about the most purple county there is in Florida. You know, however, our county votes is typically how the country turns out. Or just one of those mixed bag places. And so we have a very, you know, we have people from all different political persuasions that worship at our church. And to see that the discipleship element was happening with someone who probably would have disagreed with me politically was like a, you know, Judd Nelson at the end of Breakfast Club fist pump moment like, okay, this is working. And God's word is going to return true no matter what. So be faithful in preaching. And again, if God can use crazy people that think that they're cows for seven years of their life, he can use whoever's going to win our general election. <laughs> so you know, Andrew, I think you said something like preach what is true. And if that rubs either spectrum of the political spectrum that, that you get emails or you get you know pushback, what do we always say? That's a discipleship issue, right? Like, because truthfully, um, they're being convicted. And I think we've all felt that. So like, we can't cower from preaching what is true, you know, but at the same time, I I had somebody at my last church, they wanted to put flyers in my hand for me to hand out the door. So there could be voter awareness. And I was just like, No, we're not doing that. So like, we'll we'll preach what is true, but I'm not I'm not peddling uh, any candidate. I remember 2020, my first full year as a lead pastor at Lakeview Church, <laughs> which, I mean, there was, you know, quite a few challenges that particular year. Do you remember that pandemic thing? That was so weird. It was during an election year. So there, fun, there, there right? were a lot of a lot of things happening. 
I do remember the stimulus checks. Those were awesome. I miss the stimulus checks. I wish my dog didn't have surgery so I could have actually used the stimulus checks on my family. But Jeff, something you said that that was kind of my my take a couple of years ago. I was I was almost just just it felt taboo. Like I didn't want to say anything about it. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to bring it up. So I I just I preached normally. I didn't even like I didn't I don't think I said a word about it. And it was almost like cowardly in a sense. That's kind of how I felt coming out of that year. Not that I, I want to be like the the political preacher guy, but like you said, Jeff, they're already hearing it like every day. They're already talking about it. So there's there's no reason to shy away from it, especially especially since so much of what we preach is on church unity. I mean, a lot of a lot of Philippians and a lot of Galatians. We, we've been through several books as a church back to back on this idea of unity in the church. And we've had a heavy emphasis on prayer. So wouldn't it make the most sense to like put this into practice during an election year? Like, how can we center on the gospel? How can we stay focused on Jesus? So I think this constant reminder to our people of look, th- this election will not solve this broken world. Like only Jesus can do that. But yes, we, we still have a civic duty. Yes, we're still going to pray about this. Yes, we're going to pray for whoever's in the office. And I think it's okay to have these healthy conversations without endorsing a candidate, which I think that's what got me in the 2020 election was I had several people who said, I need you to endorse a candidate from the stage. And I just said, I'm not going to do that. That's such an odd thing. That is a weird request. And it, it came down to an older gentleman that I love dearly who said, Tim, this is it. If you don't endorse this candidate today, I'm never coming back to Lakeview Church. And I did not endorse the candidate, and I haven't seen the guy since. Okay, it was really sad. I'm like, should we check him out? Like, drive by his house, see if he's there. I don't know, but it's just I wasn't. I don't know. It's just a weird feeling. So I don't. I don't have any fears going into this year. Um, it's probably going to get annoying as it did in, in 2020. Like, it just is what it Do is. You know what was terrible for me during 2020? I uh, had just changed like cable providers. And <laughs> so I couldn't, the, the rays were no longer on oh, I remember the, um, the, our cable package. And so I was having to watch games on MLB TV with a VPN and the VPN said that I was in Seattle. So I was getting political ads from across <laughs> the country. It was terrible. <laughs> like you think you're like, it's bad enough when you're like, okay, I, you know, the people in your community, but man, it's terrible everywhere. I'm good to not watch any political ads this year. There should be a That's button awesome. that says, I know who I'm voting for. Please don't make me yeah. watch your ads. I literally pay for Man, YouTube premium, so, so I don't have to watch them. You don't watch live sports, Dell. <laughs> <laughs> live sports. Live always sports. Commercials. Oh, I forget. That's a thing. Okay, yeah. We're real men. <laughs> we watch bigger My and bad. stronger men hit things. And each other. And each other. All right. Well, as uh, let, let, let's wrap up the show. One thing I want to uh, end on is two things. One is why we're here. We started this podcast during the pandemic, um, and uh, we we felt like there is a strong community online for youth pastors, strong community online for children's pastors, worship pastors. But when it comes to these folks of like people being in this chair there's it's hard to find a community that crosses um denominational boundaries that we can share ideas without the the pressure of feeling like we're competing with one another and um and and more important most importantly a place where you can make friends ministry is incredibly lonely and uh having community having friendship 
safe places where you can vent, safe places where you can bounce ideas is incredibly important. And that's what Practically Pastoring is all about. So that's why we have this podcast. That's why we have a Facebook group. Um, we have now over a thousand people in our Facebook group. We're actually like eleven hundred. Oh. Like once we broke a thousand, it like was going back. Now we have thorough so many people in our investigation, group, and it's pretty awesome. <laughs> so what I would like oh. to do is uh, of he's almost the back. thousand people that we <laughs> have in our Facebook group. We decided to uh, give away some books, our favorite books from twenty twenty three, and in that. <laughs> 50 or so people uh, 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 submitted a, a question in order to get these books from us. And I'm going to attempt to share my screen uh, so that everyone can see my screen. Uh, wheel. Boom. All right. You guys see it? All right. Good. Good. And we're going to pick a winner for the book. And uh, if you're watching this online, like on Spotify, you can see it. But I have uh, witnesses here, and the winner is Robert Ross. Oh, this is a sound effect. That's sweet. Wow, Robert Ross. Robert Ross Double is R. the winner. R. Okay, <laughs> so uh, Robert Ross, we're gonna send you an e- uh, email, and we'll be is mailing that Rick Ross's brother. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, Rick Ross's white brother. Um, mm-hmm. we're going to send you, uh, you're going to get five different packages from us. Cause we're sending you from five different locations. Um, it, it hopefully you enjoy you know, we, the, the resource. We, we have. could have done like five different drawings and each person got one book, but yeah, but we didn't. No, so. we didn't. Yeah, we we didn't. wanted Robert to get all five books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like the whole Pentateuch. Exactly. He's getting the Pentateuch. Um, you'll get purpose driven life from Delmar. And uh, you'll get the yeah, you will. classics from Jeff, and you'll oh, know yeah. uh, everything else from all of us. All right. With that being said, love uh, wins. Thank, thank you for this joining us. One hundred and one from Andrew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sports and Jesus, a a biography from Tim Tebow by Tim. I'm a secret uh, complimentarian from Frank. <laughs> oh, it's a public complimentarian. Um, all right. Yeah. So you're gonna get the books from us and. Uh, and we hope that we'll see you next week. I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. I'm Andrew Larson. And I'm Timothy Miller. This is Practically Pastoring. See ya.